0: I love it when you read to me. Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences. And they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Liebewitz.
1: Good morning. I am Janice Liebewitz. You are my People of the Book. And quite a different show today. Um, I know I focus a lot on fiction books. And I focus a lot on people who enjoy fiction books. But today, and I know that I am cliched out on today is not what it used to be and it's the new normal and COVID, this, COVID, that. But today is a show about very much about COVID and how it's affected our lives. And my guests today are, I, know I always talk about esteemed guests, but today I really am very honored to have... um my esteemed guests and I have with me today John Sane and Iraj Abadian. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Sure. And John and Iraj, it is an absolute privilege to have you with me today. John, for those who don't know, what do I call you? Are you a futurist? What is a futurist?
2: Dissected in many, many different ways. I think all futurists have their own way of going about doing it. Um I like to call myself a futures strategist, and the reason it's a plural is that there are many options of futures. And so we need to be preparing for many of them, if not all of them, if we can. So a futures strategist would be the best description.
1: Okay, great. So thanks for, for putting me straight on that. And Iraj, for those who don't know, is um he's a professor of economics at UCT. It has been for many years. He was also quite instrumental in structuring parts of our constitution that related to our economy. Um Iraj, you you helped John with the economic parts of the book that we're going to be discussing. The book itself is called Future Next. Iraj, tell me um, more about what you do and, and I mean, economics, not, not something that I'm very familiar with. <laughs> As I explained earlier, I deal a lot in fiction and I don't live in a fiction, fictional world. Unfortunately, we are unable to do that. But, um, explain to me what, what your role in this is. Obviously, we're going to get into that more, um, later on in the show, but explain your role here.
3: For many, of course, uh, economics, as we know, it is a bit of a, a fiction uh, uh, that people talk about, but nobody, <laughs> the majority, don't feel it. Um, so uh, don't don't worry too much. But what I do, my training is an economist. I'm interested and in, have been active in public policy uh, for the past 25 years, and I remain uh, nationally and globally involved in. Issues of human welfare, human happiness, uh, from a systemic point of view. Um, John uh, uh, focuses on on the inside of human beings and what their thought processes are, what their emotion processes are, how they interact with the uncertainties of the future. <clears throat> Excuse me. I. Look at it from a systemic point of view. how does a human being, how each one of us operate within an environment, within our communities, within our nation, within our global, within the ecosystem that we live? And uh, how the two interact is how John and I began this journey. Uh, he looks at it from a inside universe of, of human beings, and I look at it from the outside universe. Uh, and uh, I've learned a lot in the process. Yeah.
1: Thank you for putting that in a nutshell. So we'll take a short break now, and then we're going to discuss, as I said, the book that the two of you have created together, Future Next, after this break.
0: I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz.
1: I'm back with my guests, John Sane and Iraj Abedian. And we are going to be chatting about their book, Future Next. So, John, talk to me about Future Next. Tell me what the themes of this book are. I mean, I know that that initially it starts off and it says, you know, um, no one expects the future. The future has arrived sooner than we thought it would. Are we ever prepared? Should we be prepared? I mean, you know, obviously we we always say prepare for the unexpected. I think the unexpected really did hit us in the face, Um more unexpected than, than we ever thought. Um, and I think that you yourself were actually busy writing another book when, when COVID arrived and then you, you realized that you needed to, to move on to something else. And this is the, the product of that. So, so talk, talk us through this. What is the actual theme of this
2: book? So I think in the, for the longest time, humanity has been very addicted to certainty. We want to be able to predict everything we do. We want to have a confirmed outcome before we even start the journey. And that is unfortunately not available to us anymore. And as we start moving into this future next, we have so many moving parts, so many domino effects, so much changing on a structural level. This idea that we have certain types of certainty is fading. So we wanted to write a book that was very much around not worrying about the outcome, but actually just managing our behavior. All of us becoming part and parcel of this new world, this renaissance that we expect to come post the death and destruction of the old world that we're starting to see around us. And we've got to realize that it's a very painful process for many people to see the world that they always knew start to fade away. And so we split the book up into three sections. The first section is to help people on an emotional level, to try and give people the tools available out there to get them to be more elegant, to be more calm, and to actually become realistic on the fact that the world is changing on a drastic level. We can't continue thinking we can do what we did yesterday just a bit better to be able to thrive in the future that's so uncertain so the first part is an emotional mental tool set that we've broken up and uh shared um one of them
0: yeah so can
1: people pick this book up and think they can breathe a sigh of relief because um you're handing them a guidebook to to the future or a guidebook to now and today and someone's actually done it for them and they don't have to think it out for themselves anymore
2: Well, look, I think we're not prophesizing anything in the book. Uh, What we are wanting to do is start a conversation about the future. But we also can't start a conversation with people that are in panic or anxious or resentful or angry. Not that we can't. It's just that it's harder to to be able to have those conversations. So, for example, one of the tools in the book, uh, the first part of the book, is called Mourning Your Future Memories. And this idea that memories are from our past or from our future must become quite clear to us that memories don't have time attached to them. And so many of us had these future projections, future memories that we were expecting to get married, go on holiday, have a birthday at a restaurant, see friends, whatever the case may be, however frivolous your future memories were from buying a pair of shoes or getting married, all of it's been postponed indefinitely or just canceled. And so we've all got to go collectively through this idea of mourning our future memories, moving from denial to anger to bargaining to grief and to acceptance. And we see that many people in the world are stuck in anger or denial or grief. And that doesn't give us an opportunity to open up a conversation about future next, about the possibilities of what we can do and do collectively to build a more fair, more sustainable future. So the first part Mental tools, emotional tools, and these have been broken down quite clearly with examples. The second part of the book is where e starts getting involved is I kept getting asked by clients to help them get back to normal. And I found this uh, n- not something that sat well with me because I didn't think normal was great. I think normal was it was quite abusive. Uh, and it was just because we were familiar with it that people were desperate to get back to normal. Right, right. Um, and so we, well, the second part is about how do we go about reimagining as a collective what a new socio-economic system could look like? We bring in some examples of some places that have done certain things. And this is really where I started to ask Iraj to come in with some deep economic principles where we can think about the reimagination. And so this is really the the exciting, juicy parts of it, trying to think about this idea of making the middle class bigger, stronger, more wealthy, rather than having this disparity that is going on around the world with the super wealthy and the super poor. And the unfortunate thing is, is that if you think about it, the super rich people are sucking all the oxygen out the system. They are really created a system that's just making sure that they are fed And all the money is being sucked out of the middle class and the poorer people, sitting with all the rich people. There's almost no money to keep getting put back into the the system itself. And so this is the second part. And the third part, again, this is really quite squarely Iraj's work here on the third part, is this idea that we need a guidebook, a suggestion, a conversation starter, uh, some some points of action that we all can start to practice, whether we are consumers whether we are employees, employers, entrepreneurs, or policymakers, we must realize that actually we are all activists. Where we choose to focus, where we choose to spend money, the conversations we choose to have all make us activists in either holding the old world alive and complaining why it's not there anymore, or actually becoming active participants of Future Next.
1: So you're, you're speaking about, I find this quite inaccessible, though, to the average man on the street, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no offence to either of you. Um, how do you think that this will be accessible to the average man on the street who has had this his his future expectations and this familiarity just taken away from him in seemingly the blink of an eye? Um, I don't know, Iraj, do you want to answer that?
3: Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a very uh, um, I think significant observation you're making that we are at a point that we are somehow uh, schizophrenic at some point we we don't we find everything accessible and at the same time we don't want to let go of uh, the familiar because the familiar is all that we know and yet uh, if we if we dig deep in each one of us. One of the unique things that human beings have is, is the power of imagination. This is where we are, all of us. But we have different imaginations, and interesting enough, have complementary imaginations. What is uh, absolutely run-of-the-mill for you to imagine for me is a challenge. Uh, but when I engage you, I learn, and vice versa, hopefully. But And that is where... Community of human beings, when we when we face as a society, as a system, when we face challenges, we we should not, this is a proposition that we, we make in the book, we should not go back to the familiar and to the history. We should go back to our imagination and rethink the future, the future of, for example, communication. Um, in your field, um, if you were going to look back to what our, our, our forefathers did, we would not be where we are now the future of banking, the future of telecommunication, the future of connectivity globally, uh, our imagination has has opened up a new vista for us, a new way of, uh, a, a platform that I often use the term, we are ready to mutate uh, as human beings. We are ready to, to become a lot more emotional, a lot more intuitive, a lot more spiritual, a lot more grounded uh, and a lot less mechanical. Uh, and and is this inaccessible to people? I like to suggest no. If if I whenever I talk to people, they say, "Oh, things are changing." Uh, we, we, I don't know what's happening, and they start thinking about it. And this is the purpose of the book: to get all of us to to come to the party, so to speak, and not fear, and not deny their own capabilities, and not underestimate their imagination.
1: I found it very inspiring to hear uh, an economist um, talking like that. I, I found that really, it's uh, it's it's very uplifting, and you know, to hear uh, an economist speaking on on such a, a spiritual level. We're going to take a break, and then John, I'm going to um, broach that question to you as well about accessibility to to the man on the street and to to every man. Sure. Um, but but first, we'll take a break. I love it.
0: This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz.
1: And I'm back with my guests, John Sane and Iraj Abedian. And we are talking about their book, Future Next, a book that is going to prepare you for now. I mean, and the future is now. It's arrived. It's here sooner than we thought. And before the break, we were talking about what I described as um, what I found was the inaccessibility of of, of the, the ideas and the thoughts behind Something like this to to the yeah. average man on the street. Um, ideas that that maybe to some they might feel like it's pie in the sky, and Nuraž answered quite quite beautifully, I felt. But John, now I'm going to put that question to you. Sure. How are ideas like this about change and about thought, changing thought processes and adapting to the new now? Um, I have the new normal. I hate that expression. Um, <laughs> how how is that accessible to the man on the street who's had this? These future memories, as you put it, just grabbed away from him in the blink of an eye, and, and sure. he's had to adapt. And and you're saying, mm. like, like you say, like, normal wasn't that great. It was just what was familiar.
0: Familiar, yes.
1: And and how, how does the man on the street adapt to this?
2: Yeah. Look, firstly, let me just make clear that it's not easy. Uh, so it's not exactly supposed to be a one, two, three step, and then you, you're on your way, right? So let's just bang right. that.
1: Right. Good, good to know. <laughs> because I think people assume that yeah. that they're supposed yes. to just slide into this this new no. new process you know
2: no okay. no not at all but know. also i think but i also think we must become very clear that never before in the history of humankind have we had the opportunity to have microphones in our individual capacity like we do we have seen many ground swells around the world change the world around us think about the arab spring Or think about Greta Thunberg or think about Me Too or Black Lives Matter. These are all groundswell movements from the man on the street, the woman on the street that started off with creating a movement. And so, yes, in the old world, the man on the street was powerless. But today we are more powerful than we've ever been. And so the thing is, is that the most important thing we can do in our individual capacity is to us ourselves take on the responsibility to start creating a world together. And how does this look? It looks like the conversations you have. What are you speaking about? Are you complaining? Are you creating? Are you thinking about something new and the possibilities? Are you complaining about the world like it used to be because you haven't mourned your past memories or your future memories? Also, where are you shopping? Are you buying in line with your consciousness? Are you buying in line with your awareness? Are you putting your money where it needs to be going? Are you working for an organization that aligns with your values of where you need to be going in the world? Are you running a business that's in line with the values of the new world that's happening? So the responsibility lies on each and every one of us to choose our focused attention, our focused conversations, and where we spend our money and our energy. So as much as we think it's unaccessible, it's very accessible in our personal capacities. And all movements start from one person that moves to a family, a village, and then starts to gather momentum. And so the point of the book is for us to build a conversation where everybody can come in and consult about the possibility of the future rather than creating another forum that complains about the future that is not like the past or thinks about ways to break down the existing structures rather than helping build new ones. You see, it's 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 easy to get caught up in a victim mindset and an angry mindset and a complaining mindset. Very yes, much and and so. Yes. That's
1: hard, what we're used to. That, that is part of our familiarity and part of our normal.
2: And, and that's an unfortunate thing, that normality has a linking or a fade or a, 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 an ideation of victimhood. It's like, poor me, can't believe this is happening to me. I'm a man on the street. I actually can't do anything about this. This is the government's fault. This is America's fault. It is China's fault. And then what we do is we sit on the sidelines complaining, moaning, and shaming about a world that we can become very actively involved in. So the question itself, I, I, I think, needs to be shifted to how does the man on the street become more actively involved in building a new world that is more fair, more transparent, and more abundant to everybody?
1: And and I think that is the question is how do we show up as, as relevant players? How do, how do we show up as those, as those players when we feel that we want to and we need to and we know that we have to make changes and we have to be players in making those changes because um, those changes are going to be relevant to us, but we don't know how to show up.
2: So Iraj, let me just jump in and then I'll let you go because I think that the second tool that you I having
1: Iraj is like support. itching to say something.
2: I, I, <laughs> I know, but if, before I let Iraj go, I, I could see him going. But I just wanted to say is, um, uh, there's, the, the second tool is called the drama triangle or the creator triangle, and so when we are. Given such a deep, uncertain world that we're moving into, we have a very clear choice of how we are triggered. It's called the survivor consciousness trigger point. And this trigger point either puts us into a drama triangle or a creator triangle. Now, the drama triangle has got three characteristics. Poor me, the victim, or the savior, the sympathetic person that's always looking for somebody to save, or the angry person. I'm angry with the world, I'm angry with this, I'm angry with that. Now, all three of those characteristics are not there to build a new world. The other three characteristics in the creator triangle is you're moving from victim to creator. In other words, where are the opportunities for bring new impact to the world? From sympathy to empathy, I don't feel sorry for the world. I want to empower the world. Like Oprah, she doesn't feel sorry for women. She empowers women. Very difference between sympathy and empathy. And then you move from anger to challenger. I want to challenge myself to be better. I want to challenge the world around me to be better instead of me being angry with the world. And so what has happened is that we have unconsciously, many of us, been triggered into the drama triangle because it's so uncertain. Now, those dramatic characteristics, none of us like people like that. Do you like people that are always feeling sorry for themselves or angry with them? No, we don't. But somehow we've been triggered into that. So we have to become consciously aware of how this uncertainty is triggering us and our personal capabilities so that we can become active participants of the future society or be angry that it's not like it used to be or feel sorry for ourselves that it's not like it used to be. So I needed to jump in with that point before I hand it over to Iraj. Iraj, go ahead. Janice,
3: <laughs> I think uh, you, you're absolutely right. And underlying what what John so eloquently mentioned is the fact that Unlike in the past, the, 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 the nature of power has changed. Um, uh, 200 or 2000 years ago, an individual couldn't do anything, even if they wanted to be creative, even they had all the commitments, because the, the, the structure of power was so centralized in a pyramidical way that the, the, the individuals at the bottom had almost no control. Now, if we look back, you and I, as we sit here, we see that the power power of information power of connectivity power of mobilization power of campaigning uh, suddenly has has changed the pyramid has has shattered and it's become flat that's why presidents and prime ministers and generals and so on suddenly feel awkward because they don't know what happened to their power because a group of youth can mobilize in, in uh, Luxembourg and suddenly all the European leaders with all the pomp and glory, they are absolutely powerless to stop it. And this is a teenager girl who, who says, I'm not going to school until you guys wake up. And the result is for all to see. Or uh, Malala in Pakistan uh, mobilizes uh, against the, the fundamentalist single-handedly gets shot. And survives and becomes a global figure, gets the Nobel Prize. Yes, that, yes. that means the power has changed. Corporates are facing it. The, the flip side of it is that when the power is dispersed, all of us have the power. We must just believe it. Although we've been socialized not to, we must, we must re-socialize, unlearn this bad learning of the sort of old, good old bad normal and accept that we are a, a powerful, imaginative, respected, honorable player in the game. And start from there. Believe me, when, when each one of us accepts that we are as such, suddenly we'll find a different creativity within ourselves and we'll start operating very differently and future next will begin to roll out.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's the, that is the key. That is the fundamental point that, that we have to tell ourselves. I think for some people... Um, they have to be careful, or others have to be careful, not to um, overpower them, or that, tell them that they have too much power because that that can be dangerous. <laughs> but we do need to remind ourselves that we each do have the power to to take control, and and to to know that we do need to take control. We we have the the ability to play a role in in the future, and to play a role in in being change makers and in pol- being policy makers and to change the stories. And, and John, you were the one who mentioned, we're changing the stories of the future. It's all about mm. storytelling. And mm. like you mentioned that in the beginning of the book as well, that this is about storytelling and Look, I think, the stories of the past and of the future.
2: Yeah, well, I think the thing is, is we all, not all, many people are, are sort of like, Convinced that there is already a future in play and they haven't done well in it. Like, mm. there is no future. The, the future is what you're deciding in the now to create. are
1: creating now, yes. Absolutely.
2: So th- this is the problem is that most people have become silently invisible victims to themselves and the world ahead. They become harmless. They've almost abandoned themselves in their own potentiality of the future, which is mad if you want to think about it because there is no future you are creating it every time you speak every time you converse every time you connect every time you choose to have a conversation over another conversation so the book is a a a reimagination tool set a a ability for us to have this conversation about the fact that we are more powerful than we've ever been as human beings and collectively we can change things of course we can it's a catalyst it's a catalyst like look also remember that society for the longest time over the last 150 years has had certain things inside it that look and seem disgusting and are ridiculous in today's world. Think about slavery. And think about women not voting. Think about apartheid. Think about ch- children in, in labor camps. These were all normal. They were normal back then. There was no, you know, no, there wasn't like taboo around women not voting. That was just the accepted norm. And so we have to also question ourselves now and is what is the accepted norm that we are just saying yes to today? That's the thing we need to question. So the man on the street not having an issue or not having the power is a norm, a story that we kind of accepted, which we are saying, no, that's not true. Of
3: course you have the power.
1: Because we're evolving all the time. The other thing you say in the book is that we need to change the questions that we're asking.
3: Exactly. Yeah.
1: We're not asking the right questions, or we haven't been asking the right questions. We need to adapt and change the questions that we're asking. And instead of asking why, we need to ask how.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's right. That's also part yeah. of the book. Yeah, we
1: need to learn how to do that. A lot of yeah. people don't know how to do that. We need to teach ourselves. We need to teach others how to do that.
3: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, yes, Janice, that that's right. exactly that's exactly why. We're uh, really excited about the book because it, it it starts. It doesn't end. It just begins that, that process uh, because we have to uh, reinvent ourselves. We have to unlearn a whole lot of things and redefine and relearn a whole lot of things. And that takes time. We should also be patient with ourselves. But as we go through this unlearning and relearning, um, we submit that there are three protagonists that we should focus on. One is ourselves, the individual one is the institutions the municipality the government the the monitoring the all the institutions of governance that we need as 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 gregarious creatures human beings uh, and the third one is the community we cannot separate uh, ourselves from the community so these three protagonists they have to reinvent themselves and we offer some very humble uh, questions uh, to, uh, not be exhaustive but to get the discussion going. And you're welcome to add another 10 to it so that we learn from it. And we have absolutely no doubt that there are people who will complement that list and through that process we will all learn how, which is the point that you were raising.
1: Boy, but the patience is difficult,
3: eh? Huh? Patience.
1: <laughs> I know for myself. Patience is, is not a virtue that I possess. I think for many people that... that uh, a yeah. huge difficulty and, and patience and frustration is something that, that I think has played, um, a lack of patience, should I say,
0: yeah. is
1: something and, and frustration is something that's played such a huge role in, in these past seven months and something that I think is playing out, um, um, overseas in a lot of countries that are now going into second lockdowns and, and I think we're seeing it playing out a lot, um, this, this lack of patience and frustration and, Yes, I think um just, are our let's difficulties. Be,
2: let's, let's be reminded that we
1: might be only at the beginning
2: of this virus. Um, and Iraq said it well the, the, uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, he said this virus has mutated away from a medical issue to a socioeconomic and political issue. Very much so. Very and, much so. And so even if we get right with a virus and a vaccine, right? Remember that they might give two or three vaccines a go ahead next year with an efficacy of maybe fifty or sixty percent per vaccine. Then we have twenty or thirty percent of the people that don 't want to take the vaccine so once we even have the vaccine it doesn 't mean anything anyway because fifty percent of the people who 've gotten it most probably won 't be affected by it or won 't be immune by it. The other twenty or thirty percent of the people that don 't want to take the vaccine, so we're back at square one that 's taking into account that the virus doesn 't mutate and if it does then there 's a whole wow. other kind of fish there right so Let's just remember that if you're not patient now, if you're not dealing with it well in an emotional state now, we're at the beginning of this marathon. This is We're not halfway. We don't think we're even halfway. You know, We still have so many different dominoes to fall. And so the level of patience, the level of expectation, all of these things is what we touch on in the book is say, look, we're beginning this journey. We have to do it as a community. You can't go it alone, and you also can't go in with the expectations of the old world. This need for familiarity and normality is going to keep you stuck in the old world. And we want you to move into this new world. You need to catalyze you as active citizens into the new world.
1: Right. I'm going to get back to that. We're going to take a break. And we're going to get back to that after the break.
0: I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I
1: am back with my guest. John Sane and Iraj Abadian. We are talking about Future Next. Um, and before the break, we were talking about, um, John very frighteningly um, mentioned that we are <laughs>
0: not to scare
1: anyone, not to um, send everyone running for the hills. Um, he mentioned the fact that we are still only at the beginning of knowing what is going on with this virus. Um, and that's quite a scary thought. But as he mentioned quite correctly, that the, the virus has evolved from only being a, a medical issue and a clinical issue to being um, a social and economic story. It's, it's become, it has, it has, it's evolved, this is now a socio-economic, uh, the, the effects and the ramifications of it are far-reaching and far far more than just um, a medical factor. And And he's quite right. And, and as we, were are saying um, people are going into second lockdowns in other countries, and um, we don't know what's coming next week with, um, the family meeting that apparently is happening. We don't know when, but apparently next week, um, watch the space and we'll know more. But, um, you're quite right that this is only the beginning. And as we, we keep getting told, we're discovering new things about COVID all the time mm. and, um, <clears throat> different aspects of it, different, Different um, strains, different there's different things, different symptoms, different different effects that it has, and things that stay in the system. You know, there's always we keep hearing different things, and as you say, and um, the the effects of it are so far-reaching that it's far more than just a medical condition anymore. So, as you are describing in this book, and the book we're talking about, of course, is Future Next, and it's it's far more than just a handbook. at the beginning of a conversation, and and just just by the way, is is there something that's coming out after Future Next? Is there their future more? Is there <laughs> um, future far? Is there, is there is there something that you're working on that's coming on after the, uh, after this? Because um, I have to say, I'm thinking, is there is there a Future Next that you're thinking of developing for younger people, say for for teens, for school going and um, people of school going age? Because that would be something that I think would be mm-hmm. quite effective for for people specifically of that age for for their future. I mean, obviously they could read this because um, I mean this is for everyone. This isn't just for people with businesses. This I mean, I think people might think it's a book for for business people. It's a business book. It's a commerce book. Something like that. It's not. It's 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 for everyone. But um, would you consider writing a book? similar to this for school-going individuals, for, for their future, for their rethink, because personally, uh, I'm not sure if I can say this on air, um, I'm not sure our education system or any education system prepares our learners for their school-leaving years or for the future or for the world at large. Um, so a book like this might serve them well. Or a book similar to this, so okay. are you thinking of something like that?
2: So Janice actually I quite recently was hired by Curo Holdings um, oh, yes. to work to work with their exCO on developing new um, subjects, new processes and new things for the kids to be exposed to. So there is obviously a lot of behind the scenes things happening. Whether Iraj and I will be writing a book for them or not, I'm, I'm sure it will evolve as it will and as it should over the next sort of six months or so. We haven't given that much thought, but we are also working in our own ways. I know Iraj is also involved in certain things around education, around bringing in these new subjects that people need to be exposing themselves to. But I think just to touch on education for a second it's a very difficult place that education finds itself because it's slap bang in the transition of not knowing what's next while still practicing things that don't matter. It's weird because I think many people, <laughs> even the teachers at school, must probably think, oh, these kids aren't going to use this, but I don't know what else to teach. Right. So I think we just. Well, in there is
1: nothing else to teach. That's, syllabus, <laughs> and that's what they've been given. And that's yeah, exactly. what they're giving over. I mean, they don't really have a choice. Exactly.
2: But but I also think let's remember that whether you're a kid or an adult, you need to train and expose yourself to new subjects, whether, you know, if you're an existing career, it doesn't mean that career is going to be here for for the longest time or the shortest time. Kids coming out of school, you also don't exactly know what's going to be in front of you. And so some of the subjects that we touched on was, for example, teaching people empathy, teaching people um grit teaching people storytelling, teaching people passion. And this this is one subject that I think people find weird is how do you teach passion? And I think it's a good one to touch on because if you remember when you were growing up, the only career that you thought of doing was a career that your mom and dad had or maybe your friends' parents had. And the reason is is that that was the only career you were ever exposed to. So because you were only exposed to it, you thought, okay, well, I can only be a doctor, an accountant, or a lawyer. I mean, there weren't any other options. And so what we have to do for our kids today, and even for adults, is give yourself an opportunity to dive deep and expose yourself to different careers, different pathways, different entrepreneurial um, drivers, and then break those down and see which parts of them you like and don't like. Because you might find yourself down a rabbit hole of studying and in year two you pull out because you're like, I don't even like this. And the reason is you were never really exposed to it. So. There are these general topics like empathy and grit and passion that we all need to become better at, whether you're eight years old or if you're 45. So this is not-
1: I remember going to talk, I think you gave quite some years ago, and I remember you speaking about grit. And I remember thinking, the first time I've heard this. Who ever (laughs) spoke about grit? You know, and, and I was blown away. um, Janice,
3: Janice, it's- Yes, yes. yes right. Yeah, one thing that I would add to that list is we we should also start uh, uh, fearing failure. We must just actually redefine what failure is, because a lot of time we are scared because we've been told from childhood you mustn't fail this subject. You must, and, and somehow failure is is a traumatic thing. Whereas if we just define the, the, the experience of learning, that there are things that don't work and there are things that we only know. If we practice that they don't work, and in a humble way we avoid it next time, and that is another important element of the time that we are in. If our children know, and you and I as parents and our uh, broader community, uh, stop using the term failure as a as a uh, as a terrible thing. Uh, uh, Thomas Edison
1: said.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, so if the teacher talks about a different language, a different lexicon that we have to develop, and I do not pretend I have that lexicon, but I appeal very humbly that we must develop them. That Thomas Edison said, well, I've now tried a thousand things that don't work. I'm going, to, now I know what to exclude. Uh, in our language would have been, I failed a thousand times. I'm hopeless. I'm useless. I must kill myself. I'm, I'm no good. Now, wow. it's a very different type of thing. and the time that we are, and I submit that the next version of us human beings, when we become more intuitive, we then become less mechanical, less intellectual, believe it or not. Not that intelligence is a bad thing. It's a necessary thing. But yes. less reliance on intelligence, more reliance on insight and inner capabilities. Suddenly, we don't have to have everything under control. We go with the flow. We ca- we're confident in our emotions and whatever comes up I'll embrace it I will love it I'll enjoy it now that's a different type of learning and upbringing that we should start that journey
1: again can we just get that message across to our schools we're going to take a break and then we're going to wrap up after that but I just want to after after the break um we're going to, I want to just carry on talking about this for a couple of minutes and then we're going to wrap up I love it.
0: This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz.
1: And I am back with John Sane and Iraj Abadim And we are going to wrap up our chat about future next. But just before we do that, we were talking about um, education and the way our schools don't necessarily prepare our kids for the future. And um, the way we need to actually redefine the concept of failure and and what we we call failure. And um, John was saying, was it John or Iraj? I'm not sure which one. Sorry, who said he likes the term revelation? Mm. And I think that that's a fabulous way to redefine it. I just wish we could um, get that message over to our schools on on how to redefine the term failure and how to get that across to to our kids. And um, it's very difficult because teachers are, are given a certain Curriculum and they're given that to, to teach and especially now, Um they're teaching them this and they know that, that a lot of it is so irrelevant. It isn't really going to stand them in much of a good stead going forward, especially, um the kids who are in matric and grade 11 and it, it's really difficult. It's difficult for them. It's difficult for us as parents. When our kids come in, they go, oh, this is such a load of, of useless rubbish. And we know that, yes, we agree. But we can't really say to them, oh, yes, you know, just don't learn it. It's rubbish. We can have it, to actually can, get them through school. They've got to pass I, before they go out there.
2: Can, can I make a suggestion is that obviously everybody should stay in school, but yes, after school, sure. I think the, 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 the superpower that each one of us has is our very individual curiosity. Our curiosity is our God-given strike of genius because not everybody is curious about the same thing. And in order to be able to deal with such a level of uncertainty, the only way we can have the energy for it is when we tapped into our own curiosity. And this curiosity is something that needs to be awoken, curated, cultivated by parents for their kids, so that they are able to express themselves not just in a logical manner at school but a more heart based manner a more curious manner, and so one of the once I was giving a talk like this, uh, I was giving a talk, and somebody said, "Well, what if my kid is passionate about life saving I mean how's that going to be a career for them and i said Well, have you heard of this thing called the internet? Because on the internet, you can teach people how to do life-saving. You can have umbrellas with your branding on it. You can have board shorts, bikinis, suntan lotions. You can have a whole thing around any subject you want. Because out of the 5 billion people in the world, all you have to do is get 0.0001% of them to give you $1 a month for your product and your service that's 100% unique to you. So, I think as parents, there's two things we can do. One, well, there's many things, but there's two things I suggest. One, allow your kids to live out their curiosity. Two, help them understand technology better. I had friends of mine in Dubai that had two boys, 14 and 11, and they were complaining that we're spending too much time on Instagram, and they were going to take them away from Instagram, and I said, what you should rather be doing is teaching them how to sell on Instagram. Not taking it away Giving them more skills because Absolutely. what the, the future is YouTube and Instagram, not a shop, a brick and mortar shop to sell some pancakes. That's, that's gone.
1: It's got so to I up, think as yes.
2: parents, curiosity and technology are two good things for them to start helping their kids with.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that. One final thought. Um, Iraj, I've got like half a second from you. Yeah. Final <laughs> thoughts that you want to, <laughs> to leave me I with. Think, and
3: don't, to leave don't, with The the, the system is changing, economic, social, political, even family systems are changing. Don't fear it. Embrace it and ask, how can I make it the way I like to see it? Focus on that. We'll get there. Don't fear.
1: Brilliant. Thank you, John. One last 10-word thought from you.
3: Sure. 19th of November.
2: Join (laughs) us for our book launch. Half past six, seven o'clock. We're doing a hybrid book launch We have thousands of people coming on a huge LED screen through Zoom. So join Iraj and I on the 19th of November. All the links are available online. If you have a problem finding them, please reach out to me on Instagram. I can give you the link with pleasure. And so join us for that uh, book launch.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. And that will be up on my Facebook page and on the people of the book Facebook page. Iraj and John, thank you so much for joining me. I think this has been extremely fascinating, enlightening for everybody. For anyone who's listening, I hope you've learned a lot. I hope you will embrace the future, which is now. And for for you listening, as usual, Shabbat Shalom, wear your mask, take care of each other and read a book.